I always love uh, speaking here, my home church, and it's such an honor. I'm loving this Good Life series, aren't you guys? It's pretty good. Good life, right? Um, and when Pastor Gary asked me to speak, um, my very, I knew almost immediately which passage that I wanted to share on, because it's something that's been a huge, impactful thing in my life. So I'm going to pray one more time, if you guys don't mind, and then I'll jump right into the passage we have. Father, you're so good. Thank you for your goodness and that you lead us into the good life. And I pray that as um, I share that from your word, that your word would be what sticks with people, that we would walk away with a bigger picture on, on what our life can be, be about. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so your passage is on the screen. It's James 4, 13 through 17. It says this, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money, while you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This short passage is packed with meaning for our lives. And I'm just going to jump right into the first point on your handout is the first thing that I see in this passage is that we need to wake up to the reality of how short life is. We need to wake up to the reality of how short life is. This, This passage has a haunting question in it. What is your life? What is your life? What is your life? And what does it say in the passage? In in verse 14, it says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So imagine going out on a cold night. It's not cold, it's gonna be a while. But imagine you go out and you breathe once. And just that mist, that breath that comes out of your mouth, that's what your life is compared to how long eternity is. Your life is just a breath. Your life is a mist. Uh, I can't believe I'm already this old. (laughs) I work with college students. Uh, Some of you guys are really laughing. Yeah, I work with college students, and um, and I I I I think that I'm 33, and so I see them just. I know I'm offending a lot of you, but. I play basketball with high school people at, at In Motion Fitness, and I, trust me, I realize my mortality already. And so uh, from the laugh and, and stuff, I, I can imagine that a lot of you would relate to me. I can't believe I'm already this old. Your life is so short. And so what are you using your life for? What is your life? Your, it says your, your life is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I heard another illustration one time. Imagine I got a Sharpie, and I put it up here, and I put a big dot on the screen right here, and some of the people would be mad. Some of you guys would be mad, right? And I drew a line, and I just drew it as far and let it just go as far as you want it to go. Your life in the timeline of eternity is like the dot, and eternity is the line. Your life is, is the dot, and eternity is the line. According to the Bible, you're going to live millions and millions of years in one or two places. You're going to live millions and millions of years in heaven or hell. And this should inspire us and motivate us to live for Christ. 
John Newton in, in his hymn, Amazing Grace, said this, and when we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we, know, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So what is your life? <laughs> I'm gonna ask you one more time. What is your life? What are you using your one breath for? This world will say, talk about how short life is, and especially my generation, they'll talk about how short life is and live for now, like Pepsi says, or YOLO, as that's all not in fashion anymore, but YOLO, you only live once. So my generation is constantly seeking for, to get the best experiences, the best pleasures, and they say, basically, drink what you want, eat what you want, Sleep with who you want, go where you want, experience what you want, and you are going to find fulfillment in life. The problem is you are never going to find fulfillment on experience and experiences and pleasures of this life. It's just not going to happen. C.S. Lewis put it this way, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That feeling of desire and pleasure and when you just want something is a taste of what is to come in heaven. And no one understands that better than my son, Owen. Owen is a six-year-old boy and he's the cutest, I think he's the cutest boy in the world. And uh, we were in Monterey this summer and we were hunting crab uh, in, the cro- in the cracks and crevices. And we were driving home one day and Owen, I was driving and Owen's in the back seat and there was a little bit of silence. And then all of a sudden he's like, Dada, I love this. This is so fun. In heaven, are we going to hunt crab every day, Dada? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, son. I, think, I hope so. I think so. I'm pretty good, at, pretty sure. And then, and then there was a little bit of silence. And then a few minutes later, he said, Dada, it, are, can we eat whatever we want? in heaven and it still be healthy? And I'm like, I'm sure that's true. <laughs> um, and then he said, and then a little bit later, he said, Dada, there's lots of treasure in heaven, right? You told me that already. Yeah. I said, yeah, son, the streets are actually paved with gold. He's like, wow, that's awesome. And then he said, he said this, he said, Dada, do you know what the greatest treasure in, he- in heaven is? He said, Jesus, Jesus, G- is that right, Dada? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, son, that's right. See, my son knows, he doesn't know a lot, but he knows that it's wise to look towards heaven. He, it, it's, it's wise, it's actually something that God has called us to do, is to long for eternity. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So knowing and realizing how short life is, is one of the first steps to being wise and using your life for something that's, ma- that's gonna matter. C.S. Lewis is back at it again with some wisdom. He says this, he says, Christianity of false is of no importance. And if, and if true is of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It's important. You can, it's impossible to over-exaggerate the urgency of, an, of eternity. It's impossible for me to exaggerate how urgent this living for eternity is. So that leads me to my next question is, are you ready for eternity? Are you ready for eternity? If you died right now and God asked you, stood before God and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? If you died today, I hope that doesn't happen. What percentage chance would you have of going to heaven? And let's see what the Bible says about those questions. John 3, 16, it's a favorite for many. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
if you have doubts about your salvation, you can make that decision today, this morning. You can decide that I wanna believe in Jesus. I wanna trust Jesus. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And from this moment forward, you can be 100% sure that you're gonna go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin. He, and then he rose from the dead, proving everything he said. And so he is offering you a free ticket into heaven <laughs> and, and, and a life that starts, it's the good life, a, a real life, an abundant life. And you can be 100% sure from now on um, if you make that decision this morning. So if you're in here and you're not sure, why not be sure? Talk to one of the pastors. I'd love to talk to you afterwards, but let's make that decision today. My son, Owen, has recently made that commitment. He's, re he's recently made Jesus the boss of his life, is the way we put it, is making Jesus the boss of your life. And we were driving in the car again. I do a lot of driving with my kids. I don't know why. But we drive around, and Owen was with my two-year-old, Evelyn. And they were in the back, and Owen realized that, wow, this is really important. If you make Jesus the boss of your life, he's the only way that you can go to heaven. And so Owen is on a mission to convert Evelyn, okay? <laughs> he, I remember the whole ride home, he's like, Gee, he, he, she's like, he's like, Evelyn, just pray it, just pray it. Make Jesus the boss of your life. He was a little pushy, but, but the whole, and I think even Evelyn did pray something, I don't know, but we'll see. I don't know how much she understands as a two and a half year old. But Owen gets it. Owen gets it. He gets that that we need to wake up to the reality of how short life is and how urgent heaven is. It's impossible to over-exaggerate the urgency of eternity. So that's my first thing. And my second thing is once we realize that, we need to shift our focus and invest in eternity. We need to shift our focus and invest in eternity. Let's go back to our passage, James 4, 13 through 16. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. James 4, 13 through 16. So let's be honest. We all want to be successful, right? Who in here wants to be successful? Okay, a couple people, all right. All our efforts, the, the thing that this passage is teaching is that our efforts need to be dependent on God. It, when we have this cavalier attitude that I'm going to be a self-made man or woman, then that's what actually the Bible in this passage says is evil. Is when you put worldly success over eternal things, you are missing what matters most in life. And Jesus told a great parable, and um, he, I'll start reading it, and then I'll explain a little bit. It says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. So I'm gonna just tell you the parable. Is there was a rich man that had a field. He was a farmer and he got an abundant crop. And so he decided, hmm, I got lots of extra crops and I have this small barn. So I'm gonna build an extra large barn and I'm just gonna rest and enjoy my spoils. I'm gonna eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of my life and just, just kick it back, kick it old school, okay? And, and, and this is what Jesus picks up. That's the Paul Worcester translation, okay? Um, on verse 20, he said this, but God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, you. then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Did you catch the point of this parable? Jesus is basically saying that you're a fool if you put worldly success over eternal riches. If, if you're not rich towards God is what this passage is saying. So wh- what does it mean to be rich towards God? It means that you're investing in things that are gonna matter a million years from now. I heard another great illustration. Imagine you're driving, you're moving across the country and you had $50,000 for a down payment on your new home. You just sold your other home and you got a little bit of money and you're on your way across the country, maybe to some crazy place like Texas or something like that. And you're driving across the country and, um, and you stop in a hotel. And you, you think, this is a nice hotel, but it needs some upgrades. Let me go to Costco and buy a massive flat screen with about $10,000, right? You pop that in and you spend all 50000 to deck out your hotel room for that one night that you're staying in a, mo- in a Motel 6. <laughs> That's what a lot of people do by investing all their energy in being successful in this life. And they don't invest in eternity. How can you believe that millions of people's eternal destinies are on the line and turn Netflix on every, every spare moment, okay? How can you believe that what you do to serve the Lord gains eternal rewards and, not, and just do the bare minimum to get by? I'm just gonna do the bare minimum. Jesus came with another life-transforming truth in Matthew 9, 6, 19, and 21. It says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So has any of you guys heard of Steve Jobs? Anyone? Okay. A lot of us have a, a touch phone because of this, right? Because of Steve Jobs. And he changed the world. And in not the, you know, it's cool. I like the phone, but it's not, he didn't change the world the way we're talking about. Um, But he also made a lot of money on these iPhones. Do you know how much he left when he died? All of it, okay? He left behind all of it. He didn't take a single penny with him. And according to this passage is, is you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, You can store up treasures in heaven. If you're wondering, he's actually worth $6.7 billion when he died. But he didn't take any of those billions with him. So how do you invest in eternity? The first thing that you do is invest your time. The first thing we do is invest our time. It says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. As Christians, we have the greatest cause in the world, right? We should never be bored. We, should, we have the greatest cause of helping people come into eternal life. And God has a plan. God has a plan to change this world, and it's called the church. It, God's plan, the church is God's plan A, and there's no plan B. And so we, what I love about being part of this church, knowing the leadership and, and things like that, and being such a, a key part, is this church here, you can trust, is that is what we're about. We are all about helping those without Christ come to know him. We're all about advancing the kingdom. And so when you serve this church, when you invest in this church, you are making an eternal impact. So you should jump 
at, at opportunities to serve the Lord. A church that's really operating in light of eternity should not apologize for asking too much of you. They should apologize for not asking enough. <laughs> they, they should apologize for not calling you forward. James 4, 17, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, that is sin for them. A Christian that's not actively serving the church it is simply sinning. A, a Christian that's not seeking to advance the gospel is sinning. It's called a sin of omission. And a, a Christian that is doing nothing to advance the gospel is saying to the world, you can go to hell, basically. So we need to invest our time serving the church, sharing the gospel with those without Christ and praying and just using whatever means we can to help advance the gospel. John Wesley said this. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. I love that. That's one of my mottos. When I read that, I just want to do that. And a person I picture at the church here that does that is, is Skip Johnson, also known as Grammy, also known as Gigi. See, she is Christy's grandma and my kid's great-grandma. And she is what I call industrious for the kingdom, okay? She is constantly serving. She, she helps us because my wife has a bad back, so she helps with the kids a lot so I can do ministry on campus. All, every bulletin you have in your hand, she's stuffed the little handout there. And she is constantly praying, giving to our student missionaries. She is industrious for the kingdom. Are you? Are you industrious for the kingdom? She is finishing well. She is retired, but she's not retired from serving the Lord. She, she is finishing well. The next thing I would say is we need to invest our talent into eternity. We need to invest our talent. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's steward, stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God has custom designed you to serve him and to serve this church. He's put you in this church with spiritual gifts, with abilities. And if you don't use your gifts, your abilities, they'll be lost forever. We actually have a class here at Chico Community Church, uh, a three, class 301, where it actually goes over your shape and we kind of plug you into a good role and try some things to serve the Lord. So I'd encourage that. When I first read this verse and I was thinking about it, I thought of Scott January. Where's Scott at? Scott January. There you are, man. I, I thought about how he plays bass and the harmonica like he did last week. That was just blows my mind. I could never do that. But I also thought about how Scott really has made this building what it is. He's a construction major. He's into construction and, and he's made it what it is. And I think about his gifts and, and that, and I can barely put an Ikea kitchen together for my daughter on Christmas. I just can't do it. So we all have different gifts, right? And so we need to use our gifts for the kingdom. The next thing I'd say is treasure, treasure. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'm talking about money. Where you put your money is where your heart follows. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If you want your heart to be for God, give your money to God. If you lead your heart by giving, 
Martin Luther, the guy who founded the Protestant Reformation, um, actually said this. There's three conversions. There's a conversion of the head, a conversion of the heart, and a conversion of the wallet. <laughs> okay? Because <laughs> once you start giving your money to a kingdom cause, that's when it moves from, yeah, I believe in God. I believe the church is the hope of the world. I believe God's plan to change the world is a church. And yeah, that's good. That's all great. Mm-hmm. Amen, brother. To this is real. When you, when you really invest your money and you're making sacrifices for the kingdom, you're moving from true to real. And I'm even talking to you, broke college students, okay? It, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it's investing your treasure in eternity. And it's a, it's a guaranteed 100 times return, okay? And if you don't believe me, check out Mark 10, 29, and 30. Last time I checked, that's a pre, Mark 10, 29, and 30. Last time I checked, that was a pretty good investment, 100 times back, okay? So you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. My last thing I'd say to you is we need to persevere through, through trials looking forward to our eternal reward. We need to persevere through trials looking forward to our eternal reward. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. It says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is, seen, and what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. And this is written by the Apostle Paul, who actually went through the most intense persecution and suffering you could ever imagine. He, he was stoned and beaten so badly they thought he was dead. If you don't believe me, you can check out his resume in 2 Corinthians 11 sometime, and it just got this long list of the things he suffered. And what, how does he mention them in this verse? He says they're light and momentary. Like, no big deal. What? This guy's crazy. Okay? But he says, compared to the weight of glory that far outweighs them all. And so how do you persevere through trials? You fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Having an eternal perspective will help you endure any hardship of life. It's kind of like at work, if you made a sticky note and you put it on your computer and it just said, this world is not my home. Some of you guys need to do that, okay? A bad day. This world is not my home. But I believe this eternal reward, the greatest eternal reward that you're ever going to have is people that are going to be in heaven as a result of your service. And it's my prayer that there will be thousands of people in heaven as a result of the work that I've done on earth, the investment I've made. Is that the same for you? How many people are going to be in heaven as a result of your life? I came across this great passage um, in a book from Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life, and I'm just going to read it to you. It says, My father was a church planner and a pastor for over 50 years, ser- serving mostly in small rural churches. He was an average preacher, but a great carpenter. And more importantly, he was a man with a mission. Dad's favorite activity was taking teams of volunteers around the world to build church buildings and villages devastated by po- poverty or disaster. In his lifetime, dad built over 150 churches. In the final week of my dad's life, his cancer kept him awake in a semi-conscious state nearly 24 hours a day. 
In this dreamlike state, he'd talk out loud about what he was dreaming. Sitting by his bedside that week, I learned a lot about my dad by listening to his dreams. He never talked about the books he read, the movies he'd seen, or the war he'd been in. Instead, he dreamed out loud about building churches, reliving one building project after another. The night before my father died, my wife, my niece, and I were in the bedroom by his side. Dad suddenly became very agitated and tried to get out of bed. Of course, he was too weak to get up, so Kay insisted he lay back down, but he kept persisting in trying to get out of bed. Finally, Kay, in exasperation, said, Jimmy, you can't get up. You're dying. What will get you, will get you whatever you need? What are you trying to do? My dad replied, I've got to save one more for Jesus. I've got to save one more for Jesus. One more for Jesus. One more for Jesus. He began to repeat that phrase over and over and over again. It's no exaggeration that during the next hour, he repeated the phrase probably a hundred times, got to save one more for Jesus. As I sat by his bed with tears flowing down my cheeks, I bowed my head to thank God for the legacy of my father's compassionate faith. While my head was bowed, my dad reached out and placed his frail hand on my head and said, as if commissioning me with a sacred calling, reach one more for Jesus. Reach one more for Jesus. It was a holy moment, and I knew that I knew what I was supposed to do for the rest of my life, regardless of problems, illnesses, conflicts, critics, attacks, delays, difficulties, or any other barriers. All I want to do is reach one more for Jesus. So what will you do to reach one more for Jesus? How are you going to invest your time, your talent, and your treasure in helping one more person get there? How are you going to invest in eternity? Let me pray. Father, this is such a heavy topic and an important topic, but I pray that you would use your word and use the things that I said in this moment to to motivate us, to leverage our lives, to be used by you, to make the biggest impact that we possibly can and to help others come to know you. So we give our lives to you and we say, please use us to reach one more person for Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.